the Father this morning. I just pray that you will empower us as listeners and, and empower me as a talker to speak the things that you want me to speak, and I want us to hear the things that you want us to hear. God, you are a God that provides, and we pray that we lean into that. God, you are a God who loves to be good to, to his creation, and, and Father, we pray that we begin to, to be aware of that, and we get in tune with that, and Father, uh, I, I pray that we become aware of all the areas that you move and that you are, are carefully, not just monitoring, but you're carefully involved in, in every aspect of our life. And as we get more in tune with that, that God, we begin to navigate these seasons of distress differently. So Father, I just pray that you allow us as we go back and we continue this journey that was, was being taken by Moses and the Israelites, that God, we will see that it's not just something that we're to see from above, but we are to insert ourselves in because it's our journey. And so Father, I pray that you make these next few minutes meaningful to each of us. And God, you have this innate ability to, to speak to each individual's heart just, just the way that they're going to need and so, Father, I pray that you continue to do that today. And we pray this through your son's name. Amen. If you're new with us, we've been in this series called The Land Between, and I'm just going to give you kind of a real quick snapshot of what The Land Between uh, has been. If you've been here, I'm just going to give you a reminder. The Land Between is this area or this space that you find yourself in where things aren't as they, they once were, and you're really uncertain about where they're going, and so you're kind of in this, this space, this land between. For some of you, you are in a financial land between. You're in an employment land between. For some of you, you are in, a, in an emotional land between. There's something that's happening, maybe relationally, or maybe there's something happening otherwise where you're just kind of stuck in this emotional. You know, you have more down days than you have up days, and you're in this emotional land between. For some of you, you're in a health land between, or you're walking with someone who is in a health land between where you're like, man, it's not as it once was, and I don't know where this is going, so I'm trying to lean in. And what we have seen as we've been journeying with Moses, as we've been journeying with the Israelites, this group of people that he was called to lead from slavery into a promised land, what we have seen is already there's a couple ways that we can respond. We can complain and that's what Israel did. That's what the people did. They just went to God and they complained not to God. They complained about God. And we see that there's, there, there's a kind of a dead-end road there that you're just going to kind of spend time going in circles if that's the route you choose to go. Then we see, we step outside of that, and just a few verses later in Numbers 11, we see that Moses, even in the midst of dealing with the same needs... It wasn't that they were in two different places. They're in the same space processing very similar experiences, but Moses chooses to deal with it a different way. Moses says, I'm not going to complain about God. Instead, I'm going to kind of go and just lay it bare before God. And so we can either complain about God or we can avoid meltdown and just kind of spew it and spill it to God. And we talked last week about what that can look like. And we gave permission that, you know what, go and be raw and real and just kind of vent it out. God, here's what I'm dealing with. But what we have seen is even in the midst of both of those situations, we've seen growth and we have seen that God is a God who provides. He provided for them in their moments manna from above. My manna came in the form of M&Ms. Just stay with me for a second. Guys, I, I want to tell you if you haven't been here since day one, I'm gonna, can I just tell you a little bit about our story? 
And when I say our story, I'm talking about my story. I'm talking about Chris's story. I'm talking about Allie, who works with our children, her story. I'm talking about Leanne, who gets you connected to a group. I'm talking about others as I look out. And I begin to kind of calculate what God has done in the last three years. But I'm also talking about your story. God, I have, lear- I have learned in unimaginable ways that I, I didn't even, I, did, I-, I kind of knew was ca- God was capable of, but I had not experienced until these last three, three and a half years. About three, three and a half, four years ago, God put it on my heart that, you know what, I, I don't want you to continue to do ministry as you've been doing it for the last 15 years. I want you to do something different. I, I, I want you to step out and I want you to, 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 to do something that is, is a little bit different, that has a little different DNA. And I kind of knew what God had spoke to me in that. I knew where God was kind of pushing us, that we were going to be a place that was going to be an outsider place versus an insider place, that everything we do, even it collectively inside, was calculated toward how do we get those who are far from Jesus, don't know Jesus, never heard of Jesus, how do we begin to get them connected? How do we allow them and, and give them a space to be comfortable in, even if they don't believe like us, even if they don't behave like us? How do we begin to create one of those? things. And for me, it became very evident that it wasn't going to be in the model that I had been ministering in for 15 years. And so I, foolishly enough at the time, decided to just jump off the deep end. Now, here's what you need to know about that, is that in my house, I was bringing home roughly two-thirds of our income. We went from a hundred percent to about 30 percent income literally overnight and so you can bet that I began to go okay God I'm doing what I think you're nudging me to do now it's your turn and I began to open myself up to to God you just provide however and whenever it is that you want and and at first you know everybody has a little bit of a nest egg but I'm going to tell you a couple months in the nest egg is getting smaller and Chris Decides, you know what, I, I think I, I kind of, I'm up for an adventure. And I remember telling Chris when he came and said, hey, what does this adventure look like for Vicky and I? And I said, well, it looks like you have two kids. And those kids are going to have needs. And, and guess what, I, I, I don't know exactly what this is going to look like. I'm not even for sure exactly when this is even going to materialize. And he looked back and he said, we're in. I'm going, there's nothing to be into. You do realize that there's, there's no 1st and 15th to our month. I remember Allie calling and saying, hey, I kind of understand that maybe sort of you're thinking about doing something in North Nashville. And I want you to know I've got experience launching children's ministries. Been a part of a church that was a, a church plant, and I helped them get off, uh, off the, the ground and running, and their children, do you need us? And I went, well, you just got married, literally. Two weeks before she called, newlyweds. Just got married. Had no money. You know how it is when you first get married, right? I remember Leanne going, what does it look like for me to be a part of a a team that that launches something into our community? I said, well, it looks like you won't get health insurance. And Eddie, at the time, her husband was kind of providing the way he he does, but he's self-employed. And so what does all this look like? 
And so we just decided that, you know what, we're just going to kind of depend on God. And I understand that from the outside looking in, that's foolish. And you go, what in the world are you doing? I mean, you guys are at the time in your late 30s, and, and, and Allie's in her mid-20s, and she's newlywed, and, 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 and Leanne has health. I mean, what, what are you guys doing? And we just decided, you see what I did there? And we said, what are, what are we doing? And we just knew that what we were doing was we were going to chase the heart of God. We were going to chase what we believed to be God's dream infused into us for something different. I remember one moment when things got really tight. And for those that don't know, I'm an autograph collector of sorts. And, and uh, I also kind of uh, have found that, that, that God allows me to use what I'm going to call a skill to provide. There was a time late in the year where things were getting really tight and Keith Richards came in town. If you don't know who Keith Richards is, I I don't know what planet you live on, but in the autograph world, Keith Richards is an extremely hard autograph, meaning that it's a pretty valuable autograph. And I remember a moment when he was coming out of a venue and Lori and I had already had the discussion of how tight things were. And not only were they tight, they were getting tighter by the day. And there's only so much, my, she has a good job, but it wasn't a job that could fill the 100% that was now suddenly at 30%. And I remember in a moment the relief that I felt when Keith Richards reached over and he rolled his window down and said, let me sign a couple for you. And I remember him taking a Sharpie and scribbling his name on a couple of sheets and handing them back out the window and saying, good day. So I call a friend and I said, hey, I've got a couple of Keith Richards autographs. Is that worth anything in your world? He said, shoot me a picture. So I shot him a picture and he said, I'm PayPaling you now $1,000. And I'm telling you that if God can use Keith Richards to provide for my moment of need, he can use. <laughs> so then fast forward a little bit, a few months goes by. And here's what you need to know about our staff is that we committed that for the first several months, Even as we didn't know exactly how it was going to look and we didn't know the logistics of everything, we knew that God was moving. We knew that there were were a few people that were interested in tagging on to what we didn't even know the ship was going to look like, but they said, hey, we want to bail in. And we just said, you know what, one of the things that we want to do, because we want to set a spirit and a DNA right out of the gate, we're going to be a generous church. We're going to open up our books. We're not going to hide anything. And so we felt like that it was important as a staff for the first several months to not take a dime of compensation, not even part-time. You need to know this, your staff is still part-time. And so we said that in order for us to set a DNA in course of being an outward-focused church, to, to be a more generous church, we want to give away more than we can keep, and all those things that you've heard me say over and over. And so we went months without taking anything. And so as Keith Richards' money disappeared, guess what? Things got tight again. And I remember around Christmas, those that we call lead team, those that are are made up of of several leaders that I had put around myself in order to stand accountable, but also to to be responsible too, and all these, these things that make up our team, one Sunday after we were finished, handed all the staff a jar of M&Ms. 
And I'm going to tell you that it meant more to me in that moment, not because it was M&M's, but because it was nice to be appreciated. And it was nice to see that, that what we had sacrificed for was, was meaningful to someone else besides us. And so I, I remember that moment going, this is the most awesome thing. And it had nothing to do with the M&M's. It had to do with the words that were said when the M&M's were handed over. And so I remember putting the M&M's in my car and later after church opening up this thing of M&M's to take a bite. And inside the M&M's was a roll of cash. And I remember in that moment thinking, God, yet again, you provide. I'm going to put that in my pocket so somebody didn't come up here and get it afterwards. <laughs> I'm still part-time. And I remember that moment of going, God, yet one more time. You didn't let us down. And and if everyone came up that I just mentioned and and traced their story, they would have similar moments. It would either be M&M's or Keith Richards or art or something along the way, swimming lessons. But God has faithfully provided. And here we stand, three and a half years later, and there hasn't been a thing in my life that I've gone without need. But the very chairs you sit in, See, when we started up, we didn't, we didn't go to the bank and we didn't finance. We didn't say, hey, we're trying to, you know, have a startup church. I'm not even sure there's a loan available for that. But we didn't go and loan money. We didn't go through an organization that helps back plants. And so we just said, hey, what, what if we just kind of see what God can do? And, and we began to just put it out there. At the time, we didn't own a single chair. We didn't own anything. We didn't have any place for people to sit down. And so I just remember throwing it out there. Here's what I need everybody to do on that front end. There's probably 60 of us. And I said, hey, if we're going to make a run at this, we've got to have a place for people to sit, including you. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to buy two chairs. Chairs are $11 a piece. I need $22 from everybody. Why two chairs? It's one for you and one for somebody that you're going to invite to be a part of this. And I remember in, in, in the most unsuspected manner, I got a phone call from somebody who, oddly enough, has moved on from Wellhouse due to some job things and other things. They've moved on, and, and uh, I remember meeting him at Shoney's. If you're taking me out to lunch, don't take me to Shoney's. But I remember meeting, I remember meeting him at Shoney's, and again, from the outside looking in, you would never think that what's coming is going to come in, in, from, from this lunch, from this, from this brunch. And he, he went on to tell me how he had uh, just settled his mom's house. I knew the house. I knew it wasn't anything elaborate. And he said, it's on our hearts to help you guys. It, God has just placed it on our hearts. It, it, we believe that, that God is going to do something unique and going to do something special, not just in your life, but in the lives of people that you don't even know yet. And so we would like to help buy some chairs or buy some kids' stuff, whatever it is that you need. And he slid an envelope across the table, and he said, it's not much, but it's what we can do. So I said, thank you, and I tuck it in my coat. I didn't open it up. I didn't know what was in the envelope. I just knew that in that moment, again, God was providing something. It was either going to be a row of chairs or two rows of chairs. I didn't know. And I remember getting in the car, saying, God, thank you. And I thanked him before I ever reached back into my pocket, and I remember taking the envelope out of my pocket, made sure he was gone because I didn't want him to see me gawking at the envelope. And I opened it up and it read, 
paid to the order of Wellhouse Church $15,000. And I just remember sitting in Shoney's parking lot going, God, you are God that provides. So it's not just the staff's story, it's your story, the very chairs you sit on. And I could tell you 45, 50, 100 more stories that are very similar to that. And so in this moment that you find yourself in the land between, I promise you that God is a God who provides. The way you react in the moment may or may not determine even him providing. It'll determine the way that you grow, but these moments of need, and I remember these moments both right before Keith Richards and right before the M&Ms and right before buying chairs and the stories go on, they came at, at high levels of anxiety, I won't lie. Because I told you from the very beginning, we're an imperfect place. And so I'm going to tell you, the guy who leads you was a guy who at moments was not scared of the mission. I was scared of, of how I was going to take care of some things. And it came at high levels of, of anxiety and, and the anticipation of the unknown. I'm talking about this kind of anticipation that comes from contending with forces that are beyond my control. I couldn't control anything. But yet it didn't keep the anxiety level down just because I knew I couldn't control some things. I just had to kind of lean in. And so again, we followed Moses through this journey. We have followed him up to this point where we find Moses in Numbers 11. He is at the end of his rope. If you go back and read kind of verses 5 through, through 10, 5 through 12 in that area, you're going to see that he is at the end of his rope. And, he, and we left off last week at this moment where Moses cries out. He says, okay, God, I have had enough. I can't do this. It is too heavy. It's the same question that I asked. There were moments financially, there were moments emotionally where I began to say, okay, God, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? This is way harder than I thought it was going to be. I thought when you step out on faith and you try to honor what it is that you're nudging me to do, that things suddenly get better. And what I found was there were moments that were better, but there were also some tough moments. There were moments that got harder. And so I began to ask God, okay, God, now we're here. How are we going to deal with this? And again, I tried to, to pattern myself after this where I said, God, I'm not going to complain about anything. I'm just going to talk to you. I'm going to be real with you. So God, how are we going to deal with this? How are you going to help us out? You know our needs, God. You know what it is that, that's coming next week and the week after. God, how are you going to see me through this? And what I found, it's the same answer that God gives Moses. And so as we lean in, we're going to start in verse 16. We, we leave with Moses crying out, God, this is heavy. How am I going to deal with this? We see manna, but how is it that God is going to long-term help him deal with some of these emotions? And then verse 16, God begins to give his answer. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's, of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders, officials among the people, have them come into the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and I will speak with you there. The first thing I see was the very first thing I saw in my own life. That in these moments of need, I'm talking about great need where anxiety and anticipation of the unknown is at an all-time high, I want you to notice that the first thing God does is he extends an invitation to be in his presence. And I know that doesn't, on first glance, that doesn't pay the bills, that doesn't take care of the health issues, but God is always going to say, listen, if you want to begin to steady this out, just spend a minute in my presence. 
I want you to notice that God, or Moses cries out. He, he, he's raw. He lays it all, on, all out there. And we sometimes look at that and go, is God going to be offended? No, God doesn't get offended. He gets moving. In fact, he says, you know what, Moses, I agree with you. And I imagine there was a moment where Moses says, what? God says, I agree with you. It is heavy. I, I, Moses, I, I, I hear you. And I won't deny it. But this moment that you're in is, is heavy and I agree with you. And what God tells Moses, he says, so let's do this. Let's meet and talk. I'm not offended that you laid it raw. I'm just going to get moving. I'm going to come to you. I want you to, let's just spend a minute together. And, and better yet, I'm not even going to ask you to come my way. I'll come your way. In these moments, God is always going to respond, and he's going to give us the attention that we need. He's going to be attentive. He's going to be tuned in. And, and, and I, you go, me? Yes, you. In the midst, and this is mind-blowing, Leanne and I talked about this just in the last week or so, it is mind-blowing to know that we serve a God, a creator, that, that processes millions of, of, of cries, millions of whispers, millions of requests and responses, and yet he has this, this innate ability because he is God to tune in and zoom in to you specifically. He says that he knows the numbers of hairs on your head, that this is a God who, listen, although he is keeping this whole cosmic thing working and in, in order, he says, no, I'm not too busy, I'm not too distant to come and meet with you, Moses. I think we got to be reminded of that. That in these moments where you think that you are completely out there on your own, that you are completely as far away from God as you can be, is there any way that he's hearing me? I want you to know that he is absolutely available. He is present. He is near. He always cares. And i got to tell you this, it's not always predictable. It's not even always explainable. But he's there. So he says, all right, Moses, you're right. It's too heavy for you. So let, let's meet. Let's, let's, let's meet so that I can begin to, to show you and explain to you and begin to work for you on how it is I'm going to give you some relief. And this is the moment where you go, okay, now, Jason, you're talking my language. I've been kind of hanging in these four weeks because I'm looking for relief. And I told you from the beginning, it's not a step one, two, three series on how to get relief. I'm just going to kind of open up some things. But what I notice, what follows God's presence is there are some ways that he's going to provide for some relief. And all I want to do for the rest of our time is I just want to make you aware of those so that you can begin to be aware of those in your life. What we're going to notice is that there's a couple ways that God provides. And again, I look back over my last three years, but guess what? I look back over my, my last 30 years and go, wow, I remember. You're right. He did that there. Didn't see it at the time, but he did that there. <laughs> he delivered here. God, I thought you were a God that were hold, was holding out on me, but all I, I, I see now is that you were in these moments. And these are essential. They're so necessary to us growing through those. So let's look at just a couple things. Verse 17, go back to that. He says, I will come down and speak to you there. And I will take some of the power, the spirit that is upon you, and I will put it upon them, talking about the elders that he kind of brought with him. And get this, so that they will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. God's going to 
provide for you in way of his presence, but he's also going to provide for you with people. And again, we run quick and we, we undervalue this. Again, people in my life is not what's going to pay my bill. People in my life is not what's going to cure me from this or that. People in my life is not what's going to keep my mother from dying with cancer. People in my life is not going to alleviate that, but I promise you it will. He says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to put some people around you, and I'm going to empower them in such a way that they can help you carry the burden that we both agree is too heavy for you. He says, let me do this. He says, can I just spread it out? And I want to encourage you that if you're in this moment where you're feeling that weight of some sort of burden and you're in this land between, I don't know if it's financial, emotional, or otherwise, can I just encourage you, seek God's presence and then begin to let him spread it out. I want you to notice this too, is that God had already placed those people in Moses' life. Moses, he, he probably didn't have a clue why he was gathering up this group of people. But he knew who it was that had exemplified some sort of leadership, some sort of influence in his life. And God says, hey, go gather those people. But I don't think he knew why he was bringing them to the tent. And I want you to know that God has probably already put those people in your life. It's a matter of whether or not you see them. So Moses had to go and see those people, recognize those people. And then in this moment, God began to spread some things out. And Moses went, oh, you're going to use this community of people. I remember early on, again, going back, there have been, been moments in my life where I undervalued and underestimated this principle in my life. Lori and I, we were in West Virginia. We were newly married, newly in ministry. We were, we were hundreds of miles from anybody that we remotely knew. We were not near any family. I thought I had everything figured out. I was 22 years old. I thought, well, I've got the world figured out. And what I figured out was a few months in that, you know what, things set in, not that there were bad things happening at church or work or anywhere else. It just set in that, you know what, we don't, we don't have any family here. And we began to have a need. And we began to have an emotional need. And we began to have this moment where you kind of go, wow, I find myself in a land between. I'd like to be closer, but I'm not. And God says, listen, I got this. And he put some people in our lives, the Lamp family. And for the next two and a half, three years, they would invite us to lunch every Sunday. And it didn't take me very long to figure out that they didn't invite just everybody to lunch. It was a family lunch. It was only family, to be more specific. And Lori and I found our chairs. In fact, five, six, seven weeks in, they're like, hey, we got to sign. That's your chair now. And so for the next three years, we watched them emotionally nurture us. And in these moments when things got heavy and we were both getting a little bit homesick and we would like to see our friends or we were starting to kind of feel a little bit alone, they'd call and say, hey, you guys want to go to the football game with us this weekend? Or, hey, we've got tickets to West Virginia. We've got the Mountaineers playing. You guys want to go? And, and I didn't really care anything about the Mountaineers, but I needed the company, so I'd hop in. Let's go watch the Mountaineers. But I didn't realize at that moment what God had done was he had assembled some elders around that he had assembled that which was going to carry me. He was spreading out some anxiety and saying, listen, I know that you're going to have these moments where high tension comes, so let me spread out some of those things. And again, I look around and I see I can isolate people like the O'Briens, who for the last seven, eight years of my life has not been just friendship, it's been God-appointed friendship. 
that has carried me. So I want you to know, don't underestimate how God might provide from, from, from putting you. God, life has a tendency to really wear us down. Life has a tendency to, to kick us relentlessly, especially when we attempt to navigate it on your, our own. And so ha- take a moment and look around and see who it is that's in your camp. See who it is that's in your house group or see who it is that in these moments that God might have strategically and providentially put there for these exact moments. And then together just begin to walk into the tent of meeting. Say, okay, God, I've gathered up some people. Now can we begin to to start ministering to, I I gotta get through this and I'm gonna tell you that people is where it's gonna start. But God also has a way of providing solutions in these moments we continue on, verse 18, he says, all right, tell the people, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow. And you remember what their primary complaint was, right? They didn't have meat. He says, when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed and said, only if we had meat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five or 10 or 20, but you will eat it for a whole month. Now, As we kind of wade into this solution, I want you to know off the front that your circumstances, whatever it is, whether it's financial, emotional, health, your circumstances may not immediately change, but I'm going to tell you that somewhere along the way, God has a way. He always has a way of reminding you that he knows and that he cares, and he is working on the details. He's working on solutions. And I don't want us to get locked into this because I think what we tend to do is we, we tend to up our game when, when, when things are low. We, try to, we, we tend to treat God a little bit like a vending machine, don't we? Man, my need is at an all-time high. You know what? I got an extra prayer coin. I'm going to pray more and pull the handle and hope God provides. Or you know what? I haven't been to church in a while, so maybe that's, my, maybe that's why I'm at a low point in my life. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clock in three coins at church and pull the handle and see if God provides. Or we're like the Israelites. We say, well, if I bug him enough, he'll finally give in. He'll get tired of hearing it. I just want, Don't get locked into that what you do automatically results in a candy bar popping out. I, I, I don't want to tell you that, you know what, if you'll up your prayer game, if you'll come to church more, if you'll give more, if all those things happen, that guess what, God will immediately. Guys, we've already talked about, and you can go back and listen, we've already talked about what it looks like to patiently endure some things, but that God is still working. This is a trust walk. This land between is about trust. And so here, let's get back to this. He may provide meat for you, or he may provide contentment on a level that you didn't know was possible to go without meat a little longer. And again, I want you to hear that. He may. He may provide meat for you. He may provide a money roll and some M&Ms. Or he may just say, you know what? What you got to do is you got to learn to be content in all things. What you got to do is you got to learn to be content without 280 channels on cable. You might have to be content I remember again back when we first kind of started all this, I remember, it, it, you're going to laugh, but it, it killed me not to go see Justin Timberlake. He was at Bridgestone, and we looked through the account and went, there's no way, short of me selling some shoes, and that ain't happening. <laughs> but you know what? That moment came and passed, and I didn't feel like I missed anything because God had infused into me 
a different level of contentment that I, I didn't think this spoiled kid could have. And so I don't know what it's going to look like. It, 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 he may provide for you a, a moment of additional income or job placement, or he may just provide for you some encouragement at the office to get through your current job. I don't know. He, he may provide for you total relief, or he may just provide a second of relaxation at just the right time. Again, I remember moments in ministry where it was at an all-time high, and I said, God, can you please relieve me of this? And what he would do is he would provide me with a phone call later that evening where a guy would say, hey, you want to go to the Preds game with me? And I didn't, when the game was tight, guess what? I didn't think anything about the stuff. Now, it might be waiting for me when I get back home, but there was a moment of relaxation where I could just for a moment be encouraged in that moment. He may provide for you peace in the chaos. I don't know. But I'm telling you, he will provide because providing is what he does. And when it comes down to it, what, what is left for us is can we trust these moments? Can we trust and can we patiently endure even when it takes longer than we hoped it would take? Even when it doesn't come out in the exact form that we're hoping for. Well, God, I had a different plan in mind. But you know what? What I'm learning is that your plans are better. You know better. You see things I don't see. And so, God, I'm just going to lean in. It didn't look like I needed it to or wanted it to or hoped it to. But, God, it, it'll do. It may, it may not make sense. It may not add up. And again, if you're like me, I, I tend to respond the way Moses did. If you look down in 21, he goes, okay, God, that sounds good. But Moses says, well, here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say I will give them meat for a whole month. Would they have enough in their flocks and herds and slaughters for them? Would they even have enough in all the fish of the sea if we were to go and catch them? Moses does what I do. I take out a calculator. And I begin to devise a plan. Moses begins to work on the logic and go, okay, God, it's not adding up. And God says, well, but hold up. He says, I don't know why it is that when your back's against the wall that you automatically go to devising a plan because I don't know about you in your life, but in mine, sometimes my plans work and sometimes they don't. And then a lot of times they just end up worse than where I started. And God says, what are you doing, Moses? Look at verse 23. God says, that's nice. Let's talk about, you know, fish in the sea, and let's talk about how many herds and, and cattle you've calculated. That's all nice, but you forgot to add something in. He says in verse 23, the Lord answered Moses and says, is the arm of the Lord too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true to you. He says, that's nice, but you forgot to add something in. Moses, I'm God. I'm God. So yeah, we, you, can, you can talk about how many nets of fish and you can talk about adding up cattle and how you think all this is going to be possible, but don't forget to factor in who I am. Is the arm of the Lord too short? Moses, at any moment to this point, has it been too short? See, the difference between the Israelites and, and Moses is that the Israelites had a heart of complaint that was rooted in the question and the suspicion that, God, you're stingy. Moses, however, displays a heart of trust that was rooted in a belief that God was good and is good and will provide in moments, and he will exhaust everything in the arena of generosity to show that and prove that. And it may not come immediately, it may not come the way we want, and I get it that trust isn't easy and it's not always our first response. 
But again, that's what these moments in the land between are all about. It's leaning into these moments. It's learning to grow from these moments. It's allowing ourselves to be put in positions where we can be taught in these moments. And what we find is that provision that we long for is always coming in some way, form, or fashion, whether it's in his presence, whether it's in his people, or whether it's in a solution for the problem itself. And Moses is a powerful reminder that when we come to the end of our resources, when we become fearful, when we become anxious, when we begin to doubt, that all we got to do is lean into the Lord and listen for him to say, has my arm ever been and will it be too short? And again, every time in my life that I began to doubt the length of the arm of the Lord, he would extend it one more time. So it's in these moments, it's always been on the heart of God to give. It's always been on the heart of God to provide, and we see it through Moses. We see it through the the ministry of Jesus, and I see it in my own life. And I don't know how exactly or what your biggest need may be or your current necessity, but I know that God is tuned in to this moment. And so as we kind of land this, I want to go back to the beginning. Before this moment of desperation, when God was calling Moses to take on this massive endeavor, and again, I remember my moment before the M&M jar, but what would lead to the M&M jar I remember, I remember the weight of what's next and not having the answers and, the, and feeling, okay, God, I'm excited, but I'm also desperate. I don't know what to do here. There's some desperation in all this. When Moses was being called into this moment, before this moment of, in Numbers 11, God told Moses everything that he would need to know when he called him into the moment. And I think that's the reason that Moses responds the way he did because God had already covered way back at the burning bush when he called him into this. He knew what was coming. And I believe this shaped the very moment in Numbers 11. And you say, okay, Jason, what are you talking about? Let me just show you real quick. In Exodus chapter 3, listen to the words because I've missed them for most of my life. In Exodus chapter 3, we see this scene of the burning bush and all of this is the beginning, the first the first step of faith. This is the moment where he takes his first step into the land between. And God is going to reveal to him in this conversation things that would shape the conversation and shape the outcome later on when things got really tight. And listen to what he says in verse 6. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And it says that at this moment, his face, he hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. What he does is he gives him a gentle reminder. Moses, you're a good Israelite. You're an educated Israelite. You know the history. So when I say that I am the God of Abraham, Moses would have automatically begun to file through the covenant and promises that God had made with Abraham that had been passed down for generations and how God was faithful to those. He says, I'm the God of Jacob, and automatically his history would have kicked in, and, and he would have, Moses would have like, oh, well, I know you took care of Jacob. The history was built, and this was a gentle reminder to Moses that I'm the same God who you know was faithful in those moments, who you know the stories. 
I'm the same God. And then he reveals to him the most powerful thing you'll probably hear today. The Lord said then, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying, and out of, uh, crying out of, because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. I want you to underline three things if you mark in your Bible. Because I think this is going to shape not only the moment that you may be in now, but this is going to shape the land betweens that will come, whatever they look like. And here's what he says. I have seen, I have heard, and I am concerned. Guys, there's nothing else that will come out of my mouth today that is more comforting and more fundamental and, and a bigger piece of getting you through whatever land between than me telling you that we serve a God who sees and who hears and is concerned. And then in verse 8, he says, So because I see, and because I hear, and because I am concerned, he says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to rescue. Now, we know the rescue wasn't immediate. There was a process through that. But I want you to know that we serve a God who sees, a God who hears, and a God who is concerned. You guys stand with me for just a second. In the land between, we've already established this, but I'm going to say it again. In the land between, there are going to be moments where you will absolutely feel inadequate. There are going to be moments in the land between where you will feel beat up. Where taking a breath is difficult. Where getting out of bed is difficult. Going to work is difficult. Going to visit the hospital room one more time gets increasingly harder. Where logging on to your SunTrust account is heavier than it was yesterday. Even though there's no more or less money than there was yesterday, you're one day closer to where you needed to be than you were yesterday, and you're going to feel weight, you're going to feel beat up. There are going to be moments where you feel impoverished financially, emotionally, spiritually. But I want you to know that God sees in the moments when you sit at your desk and go, God, I, I, it doesn't add up, that God sees and God hears and God is concerned. And I promise you that God will provide. And I don't know what that's going to look like other than I do know this, that he will provide with his presence and he will provide with his people. And I want you to know that in these moments that God is not distant. And can, can we just say it together? That he sees, he hears, and is concerned. He sees, he hears, and he is concerned. And so here's what I want you to do over this next few days or over this next season or do it for somebody else who you know is in the season. Just pray this because just like he reminds Moses that, listen, I am the same God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And I want you to know that in the moments that you need to be reminded that I am faithful, I've always been faithful, I'm always going to be faithful. Can we make this our prayer that God, I have trusted you with my past and help me trust you with my future. And I'm going to tell you, it took a lot for me to learn these moments. And I don't stress these moments anymore. There are moments that I just kind of let things roll. 
Not because I don't care, not because I'm irresponsible. Because I know that God is faithful. He's a God who hears and he sees and he is concerned. If he's done it once, guess what he'll do? He'll do it again. If he did it for Moses, he'll do it for you. If he did it for me, he'll do it for you.